The questions you always had. The answers you were never given. The place to seek the truth. Welcome to Veritas. What is best known about the UFO events of October 1973 is the Pascagoula abduction account of Charles Hickson and Calvin Parker. It began as an extremely credible report, but unlike many reports, intensive research has uncovered a number of additional reports of UFO sightings in the area at around the same time. This number continues to grow, and more will be discussed tonight. This has added to its credibility, and because of this, it has been termed the best documented alien abduction account on record. But much is not known about many elements associated with this event. It had numerous unique aspects, such as that the instruments the beings appeared to use to scan the men resembled such modern devices as a computerized axial tomography CAT scan. Such unique factors are compared to additional reports from the same time. This may be the first report of a new type of abduction event. There may have been a second abduction by the same object at around the same time as Parker and Hickson's. Abductions appear to happen as single events, but this may have been extremely different than the first reported. And there may have even been several abduction attempts on the same night as the Pascagoula abduction. In addition, much happened the same time as the Pascagoula abduction, such as reports of close UFO encounters, a thunderous boom, and similar episodes that swarmed in to bewildered operators in many states across the USA. These events ushered in a massive UFO wave, possibly the largest wave ever experienced and possibly the last wave. The strange boom was no ordinary sound. It was one that, with the exception of the Krakatoa volcanic eruption of 1883, could be the most widespread audible sound ever recorded. It did not happen in some out-of-the-way place. It happened in the nation's vital centers. It was felt in Washington, D.C., over areas of the nation's highest population density, its heartland, and several vital cities. This sound was analyzed according to the latest NASA research on sounds. The boom was quite unnatural and remarkable in many ways. The width of the sound would mean that the object causing it would be many miles high in outer space and in a location where there should be no overpressure. However, there was a large area of overpressure such that it broke windows in a swath over at least three states, and it appeared able to cause ground movement over a large area. It appeared to defy the laws of physics. Unlike most UFO-associated phenomena, where there is no hard scientific proof, this sound was recorded on two seismographs, which may provide scientific proof of the existence of anomalous UFO phenomena-associated events. What we did not discuss during our last interview with Calvin Parker will be discussed tonight. Get ready to find out what happened beyond Pascagoula, the rest of the amazing UFO abduction story. You are listening to Veritas. If this is your first time, welcome home. To listen to tonight's full interview and all of our material, join the Veritas family and click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. You can make your purchase with a credit card, PayPal, cash, check, money order, and even cryptocurrency. We are now accepting Bitcoin, Litecoin, Ethereum, and more. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store, 
for Focused Life Force Energy, MMS, EMP Shield, Solar, and EMP Protection, Rebounders, CBD Pure Hemp Oil, Pure Organic Sulfur, Flash Drives with all our Sanitas and Veritas Seasons, and other great products. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button of our website at veritasradio.com. And now, here's your host, Mel Hostelrick. Dr. Irina Scott received her PhD from the University of Missouri in Physiology, did postdoctoral research at Cornell University, has been an assistant professor at St. Bonaventure University, and has done research and teaching at The Ohio State University, the University of Missouri, the University of Nevada, and at Battelle Memorial Institute. She worked for the Defense Intelligence Agency and the Aerospace Center in Satellite Photography, was a volunteer astronomer at the Ohio State University Radio Observatory, and has taken flying lessons. Her publications include books and works in scientific journals, magazines, and newspapers, and she was a correspondent for Popular Mechanics magazine. She served on the MUFON Board of Directors and is a MUFON consultant in physiology and astronomy and a field investigator. And directly from somewhere close to Columbus, Ohio, I would like to welcome Dr. Irina Scott. Hello, Dr. Scott, and welcome back to Veritas. How are you? Uh, I'm fine, and thank you very much for having me. My pleasure. Well, you're coming again, but this is a totally different story or research and as I told you before we began, when I interviewed Calvin Parker in 2018, I, I tried to discuss as much as I could from his story. I thought there was nothing else. However, I recently found out there is much more to his story, and that's why you wrote a book titled Beyond Pascagoula. I'm looking forward to, to further dissecting Calvin Parker's account. But first, how did you get involved in this story? Well, I got involved for two reasons. One was is that uh, Philip Mantle published Calvin's book, and he also published mine. And uh, he was he wanted to interview people at Pascagoula, but he was in England in the UK and had an English accent and everything. And he wanted somebody over here on this side of the pond to do some interviewing. And so I was interviewing some of the other witnesses from Pascagoula, but there was another reason too. And that was is that um, many, many, many years ago, and I found out later it was exactly the same time as the Pascagoula abduction, something happened in my family. And that was is that I was at the University of Missouri working on a PhD and my mother was, and that was in Columbia, Missouri. My mother was in Columbus, Ohio. I mean, in that area. And she called one night and said, did you hear that noise? And I started teasing her and um, harassing her and um, because she had always said that if she showed signs of senility, we should tell her so she knew. And so I told her, you know, go to the insane asylum and everything, jokingly, um, because Columbus is like 600 miles away from where I was. And so um, then... Later, several days later, she called and said there was a huge UFO flap going on there. And that was interesting, too, because my mother is a skeptic. And so, anyway, it, nothing was happening in Missouri that I knew about, so I forgot about it for years and years and years. 
And later I had moved back to Ohio and I was working at Ohio State University. And at that time they had a big newspaper room with actual newspapers. <clears throat> and for some reason I was in the library and just on impulse, I decided to go in and see if I could find when that sound was because I knew it was part of a flap, but I didn't remember the date or anything else. And so I looked in the newspaper room and there were many, many, many papers. And I thought, I will never find this. And so I guess just guessed roughly at the date and looked at a couple of newspapers. And I actually found an article about the sound. And so I had a date and I could do more research. And for some reason, it kind of interested me because for one thing, <laughs> it was a really odd thing for my mother to do. And um, so I started researching the sound and a lot of people heard it but nobody knew what caused it. And I um, was going to put the information, write, do a write-up into the peer-reviewed peer um, scientific journal. I wasn't in UFOs then at all. And so a, a the state seismologist of Ohio contacted me about it, and he was quite interested too in you know, how the sound occurred and why nobody saw it or saw anything or knew what caused it. And he helped me with that, looking for seismograph stations and things. And then I did publish it in a scientific journal. But um, some UFO people in Ohio heard about it and wanted me to give a talk. And I met them, and that's how I got into ufology. And it was before I even paid attention to the Pascagoula abduction or anything. I was just interested in the sound, but it, for some reason it happened the same time as the abduction. So that's how I got into it for two reasons. Were other stories happening simultaneously while Parker and, and Hickson were going through their own? Um, well, at that time when it happened, I just wondered what was wrong with my mother. <laughs> I didn't pay attention, but yes, there was a whole lot of other things going on besides their abduction. Um, there was like a flap. It was maybe the largest flap ever of UFOs. Why do you think 1973 was so special? And I say this because I was five years old at the time, and some might think, well, you might not remember a lot what happened to you when you were five. Well, I remember clearly 1973 because... Almost on a weekly basis, I would see my dad with a newspaper, and on the front page, there was something going on, a UFO, a lights in the sky, a fishermen reporting things coming out in and out of the ocean, a, a strange thing, uh, they used to call it the vampire of this specific city in the island where I grew up in Puerto Rico, and uh, cattle mutilation, so many things happening that year, not to mention Nixon being impeached, Watergate, Yom Kippur, so many things happening around the world, but still this topic of UFOs made it to the front pages, even though many other things were happening around the world. Well, that's one thing I um, wondered about, and I just, I didn't make too much of it in the book, but um, there was, this was maybe the largest flap ever of UFOs, but there was also a lot going on, and what people didn't know is that almost nuclear war, and they had a DEFCON um, 3 alert, which nobody declassified until recently, but which happened in um, October 1973, 
And um, so besides Watergate and Spiro Agnew and everything, oil embargo and everything else, there was also the possibility of nuclear war. And I didn't say too much about it. In fact, I said very little. But it, this flap was concurrent with um, the possibility of having a nuclear war. And I always wondered if that, if there was any relationship between that. Um, because like they've talked about how UFOs fly over missile bases and turn off the missiles or, you know, reprogram and things like that. I don't know, you know, for sure if it's proven, but, um, somebody had said that maybe the UFO flap was a show of force when the world was about to have a nuclear war. And by the way, when I say Yom Kippur, I meant the Yom Kippur War of October of 73. And what you just said, it, wasn't that one of the few times in our history where DEFCON 3 was active and the, the rhetoric was really going all over the place with the Soviets and the United States? Yes, I, th I think there were only one or, I mean, two or three times. One was the Cuban Missile Crisis, and the other time was this time. And, um, but nobody knew about that because it was classified uh, about the DEF country and everything. It was just declassified a few years ago. But um, if Israel and the Arab nations got in a war, they were um, transporting nuclear weapons. And if that if that happened, if either side sent a missile up, well, the Russia would um, um, defend the Arab countries, and the United States would defend Israel. And so there could be there was a possibility of a war, nuclear war, you know, <laughs> nuclear annihilation or something. Why is this case considered the only report anywhere in the world of this type of event? I don't know. Um, I speculate in the book that um, there's that um, object, I can't pronounce the name, Amua or something, that um, came through the solar system. That was the first instances they actually calculated of a um, object coming from out of the solar system and going through our solar system and kind of, and you know, some people have speculated maybe this was a spaceship, but, um, you know, I just speculated that maybe something like that happened in 1973 and nobody would have known it then because they didn't have the, the mathematic to calculate it and everything, but that, you know, maybe something went through our solar system at that time and, surveyed earth and maybe that was a different thing than anything else because there were a number of people that said this was the largest flap ever and so there was something unusual going on then yeah it's a difficult name to pronounce the omua 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 i believe that's how you pronounce it and it's the first known interstellar object detected passing through the solar system so you think that maybe some people speculate this is a natural object some people say that it's not if we had something similar back in 1973 that had its own scouts craft that were surveying the earth at the time while it was passing, is this what you speculate? Well, I was just speculating. I don't have any idea what of it's course. true, but I don't think we would have known it back then. And they did 
they, you know, do not now, that something like that can happen. Now, most cases of abduction involve UFOs, but did I hear that this case involves USOs, unidentified, submerged, or submersible objects? How so? Um, well, this is complicated, but um, in the abduction of of Calvin Parker and Charlie Hickson was an object that floated through the air, but their abduction was very unique because people, other people in Pascagoula are now talking about it. And we found um, Calvin had given a talk to um, at the Pascagoula library and it was on YouTube and somebody wrote in and said, well, my parents were there and saw it. And that was a pretty odd thing to say. And Philip Mantle of Flying Disc Press got a hold of him and asked me to call the woman, asked me to call him, the parents, and of the woman that said her parents were there. And I did. And so um, uh, they had been at the Pascagoula River on the other side at the same time as the abduction. And they had seen a strange object too. And um, they were waiting there for her husband's boss to come. And her husband and the supervisor were going out on a ship, so they were waiting by a pier. And they walked down this, after a while, uh, the woman had watched this object and thought it was strange. Its flight path and everything was very strange. And so, um, um, after they watched it for a while, her husband was a skeptic and said, oh, no, nothing like that could happen. And I talked to him first. But um, she, he walked down first, and he was ahead of her. And she said something swimming came up to the pier right beside her, and she thought it looked like a person. And then they that was about 9, and they went to the ship. And then she didn't come back until 12, which seemed funny. And she was terrified and ran back. But she said she saw this thing that was um, swimming, and she was very, very emotional about it. So um, I talked to her several times because I was curious, and you, you tell how emotional she was. Then later, her husband became ill, and he died. And he had been a skeptic and said nothing happened, don't tell me about it, and everything like that. Well, before he died... Um, he told her that they had been abducted and that these beings had, um, when it was over with, he saw these beings swimming through the water. Um, and then he went on a ventilator and he couldn't talk. And then unfortunately he died, but that was the first she had ever heard about an induction. And these seemed to be beings that were swimming. And then, um, the other thing is, is that, Pascagoula made the national news twice, and one was the abduction. But the other thing was a um, USO, underwater um, submerged object sighting. And um, it made the national news with that, too. But this, the uh, USO was taken very seriously and investigated by the Navy. And not only did they investigate it, they sent two officers out. And the officers saw the thing, too, and watched it and thought it was very strange. Um, and this 
caused a lot of inners also. And Thank you for listening. To unlock the full two-hour interview, including video formats, downloads, transcripts, exclusive articles, and more, subscribe to Veritas Plus now. Gain access to our entire archive dating back to 2008. Just click subscribe at veritasradio.com. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. Subscribe now. To listen to the rest and all of our exclusive material, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or join the Veritas Plus family by subscribing. Click on the subscribe button at veritasradio.com. Don't forget to visit the Veritas store for focused life force energy. Get a 15-day free trial today with no credit card required. And if you want to get in touch with Mel, want to be a guest on this radio program, have a guest suggestion, or have feedback, just click on the contact button on our website at veritasradio.com. Now, proceed to the Veritas Plus member section or subscribe to listen to the rest of the interview. You don't want to miss it. Because you don't want to believe, you want to know. What are you waiting for? Subscribe now at veritasradio.com.